We'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for March 4th, 2012. We're going to continue with this first article. Um, and we're going to read you some more quotes here. Now, again, these are some New Age quotes from some of these emerging or contemplative authors. This one is Don Miller in his book, Blue Like Jazz. <sighs> okay. Anyway, um, for me, the beginning of sharing my faith with people began by throwing out Christianity. <laughs> okay, so this is a quote from the book. And these are all these are all referenced. There's a reference at the end of this article. So, again, for me, the beginning of sharing my faith with people began by throwing out Christianity and embracing Christian spirituality, a non-political, mysterious system that can be experienced but not explained. What New Age drivel that is. So, I guess you got to get rid of Christianity, but he embraces the Christian spirituality. You know, what he's embracing is the contemplative emerging new age mystic paganized christian spirituality is what he really meant to say if he was being more specific so i'll be specific for him next quote erwin mcmanus in his book the barbarian way uh they meaning the barbarians see christianity as a world religion I guess that's how he refers to the people reading his book. I, I don't know, Christians, barbarians. Which, you know, I see a lot of Bible for that, comparing us to barbarians. I mean, you know, yeah, I, I can see that. Anyway, they barbarians see Christianity as a world religion. In many ways, no different than any other religious system. Of course not. Whether Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, or Christianity, they're not about religion. They're about advancing the revolution Jesus started 2,000 years ago. Again, no basis in Scripture. In fact, the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. But just some demon-filled, heartfelt opinion straight from the lips of Satan, essentially. Because this guy's nothing more than a mouthpiece for Satan. Uh, and they love to ride the coattails of Jesus Christ. They just love to invoke his name and then at the same time spew out things that he never taught or never advocated. In fact, he taught against. But they're hoping that you won't read your Bible to prove them wrong. And most of the time, you got a New Age Bible that's been so watered down and lukewarmed on you. Of course, lukewarm isn't really a word. But you get the picture. That you might not even be able to figure it out. I mean, some of these Bibles are getting so bad that they don't even, they remove the deity of Jesus Christ. They refer to Jesus Christ as the one. I mean, they're getting worse and worse and worse and more and more watered down, all by design. Next quote, Leonard Sweet. He says, New light embodiment means to be, quote, in connection and information with other faiths. New light embodiment. Boy, that's about as new age as you get. Then he goes on to say, One could be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ, without denying the flickers of the sacred followers of Yahweh, or Kali, or Krishna. Hmm. Kali, the goddess of death of Hinduism. Six arms, uh, usually when she manifests, she's like 12 feet tall, 
six arms, one of the arms, two, I think one of the arms has a severed head, and then there's a plate, one of the arms is holding the plate, catching the blood dripping off the severed head, uh, swords and all that, I mean, you, you definitely want to be associated with Kali, yeah. Notice how he used the word Yahweh, I do not use that word, I do not use that word, and if you think that is a term for God, you need to listen to my teaching on that subject, called the sacred name issue. Because you might be calling on something that isn't what you think. No, you are, if you're using that word. Yahweh, in particular, is the one that... You need to study that out. You need to see what occultists think about that word. And how they use it in magic. And I don't mean good magic, I mean black witchcraft. It's called, just key in sacred in the keyword search box at continuefortruth.com. That's a huge movement that that, um, the the Hebrew Roots movement has got a lot of people buying into and conned into believing that you've got to use the the original whatever. Well, you better make sure it's really the original then. Let's go further. Next quote from Rick Warren. I happen to know people who are followers of Christ in other religions. Again, it's the same theme I kept hearing on these interviews with Tom Horn. Followers of Christ in other religions. Wow. Hmm. Boy, that sure seems incredibly unbiblical. But yeah. Thomas Merton, his quote, I see no contradiction between Buddhism and Christianity. I intend to become as good a Buddhist as I can. End of quote. You see the reoccurring theme over and over? There's no difference between Christianity and these other religions. There's, there's born-again people in all these other religions, in fact. Oh, no, there's not. Broad is the way which leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go thereat. God, I mean, his word is set in stone. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. You know, he said, I changeth not. Forever, O Lord, thy words are settled in heaven. Next quote by a guy named Peter Kreft. He says, Allah is not another God. We worship the same God, meaning, I guess, Christians. The same God, he says again, the very same God we worship in Christ is the God the Muslims worship. No, it's not, you lying devil. Now, I can't tell you how many teachings I've done on Islam or Muslim. Just key that in the search box at contendingfortruth.com. But I gave you a link here that proves Allah is the moon god. It's nothing more than a deity that pagans have been worshipping in um, the Middle East and Arabia for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And the archaeological proof is all there. That's all Allah is. It's not the God of the Christians. It's not the same thing. If it was, why doesn't the Quran line up with the Bible? It doesn't. In fact, the Quran contradicts itself in numerous, numerous places as well. So, let's go further. In the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul had been arrested for preaching the gospel. He was brought before King Agrippa and given the opportunity to share his testimony of how he became a Christian. He told Agrippa that the Lord had commissioned him to preach the gospel, and, quote, 
this is Acts 26.18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. End of quote. Agrippa continued listening and then said to Paul, quote, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul answered him uh, and said, I would to God that not thou, that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I, meaning a Christian, except these bonds, meaning he was in chains. He doesn't want to be Christians and to be in chains. He, he wants, you know. So, if Paul had, be, had been following the emerging, this emergency pseudo-Christian mentality, he would have told Agrippa, quote, No need to become a Christian, Agrippa. You can just remain as you are. Keep all your rituals and practices. Just say that you like Jesus. End of quote. In actuality, if Paul had been practicing emerging spirituality, he would not have been arrested in the first place. He would have, he would not have even stood out. He would have, he would not have preached boldly and without reservation. He would not have called himself a Christian and eventually became a, which eventually became a death sentence for Paul and countless others. So it's hard to believe that there was not at least some political agenda in this current storm of this whole, like with this video and these other books that we've mentioned, that we love Jesus but not the church or Christianity. And again, this is back to the source article. And we believe this agenda was aimed especially toward young people from uh, Christian conservative upbringings who were joining this emerging church movement. In a CBS broadcast, anchorman Antonio Mora suggests that there may have been over 20 million participants in the emerging church movement in the United States alone by 2006. 20 million. That's a lot of souls on their way to hell. Satan's got a lot invested in this. I don't believe that you could be in this and, and really be a born again. I don't see how it's possible. I'm not saying that couldn't, you know, I know with God, but I, why wouldn't you come out of this? Come out from among her, be ye not partakers of her place. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Because bottom line is, the absolute vast, vast majority of these people are believing in another Jesus. And, they, and you are unequally yoked together with unbelievers when you're in this movement. So, some, and that was 2006, 20 million? Some may contend that Jeff, Jefferson Bethke's song doesn't have any political message, message at all. It's just about hypocrisy of religious people. But interestingly, in the very first few lines of the song, Bethke raps, quote, what if I told you getting you to vote Republican really wasn't his his or Jesus' mission. Because Republican doesn't automatically mean you're Christian. Could there be some message here that Bethke is trying to, to relay? Is it just to tell people that just because they're Republican doesn't mean they're a Christian? Surely not. A fourth grader could reason that out. It's difficult not to believe that there's some other message here that just happens to be taking place on the election year. Just consider some of the things being said by evangelical and emerging figures during the 2008 presidential election year. And think about uh, what you're hearing today. A lot of people love the messages being sent out by people like Dan Kimball, Erwin McManus, and let's not forget Frank Viola or George Barna's book entitled Pagan Christianity, where they condemn church practices like pastors, sermons, Sunday school, pews, but say nothing about the spiritual deception that has come into the church. It's like they, you know, 
Major on minors and minor on majors. That's another huge thing I see a lot. These two later figures, Viola and Barna, give readers a feeling that they should hate Christianity, but love Jesus. But I just read you all those other verses that Jesus Christ said. Why aren't they quoting from those verses? Why don't they just admit they hate Jesus Christ too? Because they really do. They're just wanting to ride on his coattails and, and just make it appear that they're followers of Christ. They're not. By their fruits you shall know them. Why would they point you away from the word of God? Which is what they're doing. They're pointing you to another Jesus. Their fruit is rotten, stinking fruit. But yet, no, they're followers of Christ. Why? Because they say so? You know, actions speak louder than words. And, and their actions are vile. So, so, but what... Uh, but what Jesus are these voices singing, writing, and rapping about? It may be another Jesus and another gospel. Uh, Galatians 1, verse 6 says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. This is a problem they were having even at the very beginning of the church when it just was forming. People always want to earn their way into heaven. I think that's what a lot of it has to do with. They just can't humble themselves to believe that... They've got to believe that I have some part in saving myself. I understand, you know, after faith follows good works. It should. I mean, you shouldn't produce rotten fruit after you get saved, obviously. You could show someone... Your faith by your good works. But it's not, you don't put the cart before the horse. Faith first in Jesus Christ. Believing that it's through Jesus Christ that we are saved. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest that any man would boast that. So, I think that has a lot to do with it. They have to have some part in saving themselves. And really what that boils down to is pride. Pride goeth before destruction, the haughty spirit, haughty spirit goeth before destruction, you know, these types of things. Pride goeth before fall, and haughty spirit before destruction. Uh, it, it just seems to be that people just can't envision, they, they've got to have some part in saving themselves. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you, into the grace of Christ, unto another gospel. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you, and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As the world is gradually, but not so slowly anymore, heading toward a global government and a global religion, it is becoming more and more apparent that this global society will be one where tolerance is the byword for everything other than biblical Christianity. That will be the one thing that the coming one world government system, political system, religious system, economic, that will be the one thing they won't tolerate is the exclusivity of the Lord Jesus Christ and the whole born-again, Bible-believing Christian experience. They will not be able to tolerate that. It's exclusive. It's totally separate and different from any other religion on the planet. All of the other isms, Hinduism, Buddhism, Catholicism, Mormonism, Jehovah, whatever you want to call them, 
They're all religions based on works. You get saved through what you do. You earn your way to wherever you're trying to get to. Whether you call it nirvana, heaven, hell, whatever you want to call it. Paradise. I mean, even even the, the stinking Muslims where they blow people up and, and they think that they're going to go be with 72 virgins and little boys with white skin, ugh, whatever. I mean, they do that through works. In this case, blowing innocent people up. And then they're glorified as martyrs. No, they're mass murderers. That's all they are. Devils. Demon possessed of the toenails. And and they 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 glorify these disgusting martyrs. They're burning in hell right now. Every single one of them. And yet they act as though they're in paradise with Allah. And they're virgins. And they're newfound prowess up in paradise. It's the furthest thing from the truth. But, this is what we're seeing a lot of now. The one thing they won't be able to tolerate, though, is Bible-believing, biblical Christianity in the coming New World Order system. goes on to say, what better way to breed hatred toward biblical Christians than to say, we love Jesus but hate the church. Think about that. So we love Jesus, but hate the church, i.e. Christians and Christianity in general. Yeah, I understand there's a ton of hypocrisy going on, but that's not biblical Christianity. The New World Order people and the New Agers love to lump Bible-believing Christians in with Catholics, in with the hypocrisy going on in the 501c3 corporate church and Protestantism and all that. They love to lump those people in with them. Because it's so convenient. Just lump them all together. Perhaps they've forgotten what Jesus said. John fifteen eighteen says, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. See, this is normal, according to Jesus Christ. Why aren't they preaching on these red letter words? If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. That's normal. If you're of the world, the world's going to love you. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. That's the normal experience for a born-again Bible-believing Christian. Think it not strange, the fiery trial which is to try you, where the Bible talks about that. Uh, Then... Next verse, remember the word that I have said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. And then if we go to John seventeen fourteen, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. So, Jesus Christ gave gave us the word. He is the word. Just go to John 1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with with God, and the word was God. So, he says, I have given them thy word, Jesus Christ talking to the Father, and the world have hated them. Well, when we have the word, the true word, it's normal for the world to hate you, because the word is offensive, and it's divisive. And it's exclusive. And it doesn't appeal to man's pride. 
where they can earn their way into heaven through some ism, some religious system. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know the Lord's Prayer? That's important. Uh, it's, a con- it's a biblical tenet of prayer. So he, he's not asking the Father to take us out of the world, but that he would keep us from evil. Why? Because we're ambassadors for Christ. I mean, through the body of Christ, other people can get saved. And that's what it's all about. I'm not saying that we save them, but if the Holy Spirit lives inside us as a born-again Christian leading somebody to the Lord, that, that's what I'm talking about. So, going further, uh, verse 16, They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Sanctify, what's that mean? word mean? To be made holy and set apart. Sanctify them through thy truth. What is truth? It says in the next verse, or the next part of the verse, thy word is truth. That's how we're made holy and set apart, through the word of God. If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So, knowing the truth is predicated on following the word, reading the word. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It really boils, almost everything seems to boil back to the word of God. That's how we're sanctified. That's how we build our faith. It's how we know the truth. If you continue in my word, then are you my, my disciples indeed, and you, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you continue in his word. Most people aren't even doing that. Most people that will call themselves Christians don't even have the right Bible, and they're not continuing in God's word. They're not being taught, they're only being taught in little bits and pieces a lot of times. And a lot of times it's very watered down. I'm not making a blanket statement that everybody's unsaved. I'm just saying it's just it's a really bad situation. The day and time we're living in, obviously. Overall, from a global perspective. And then it ends by saying, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. So, that's, that's the end of that article. Now, there's a whole bunch of uh, footnotes and stuff like that with this references and things. Now, there's, a, there's an appendix here, and I'm going to read some of this appendix because this also bolsters what we just talked about. Um, and it says, these clippings below, they're little news articles, are from various 2008 Lighthouse Trails articles showing that there was a definite effort to alter socio-political views of conservative Christian adults and their young adult children, just in that year alone. This is just a cross-section. So, For instance, in January of 2008, according to the Associated Press report out of Washington, D.C., Rick Warren is calling for a uh, reconciliation in politics and the church. Rick Warren, okay? Satan's mouthpiece himself. CFR member, Council of Foreign Relations member, Rick Warren. Council of Foreign Relations, wow. I mean, he's, he's really not even trying to hide it. One of the most wicked... Global government 
political factions on the planet. He's a member. Uh, the report also stated stated that Warren said, quote, the nation needs both liberals and conservatives. Rick Warren said, this is a quote from him, that the nation, America, needs both liberals and conservatives. And he lamented that evangelicals are often viewed as only right-wing, as opposed to what, Rick, being left-wing, pro-abortion, pro-homosexuality, pro-essentially communism. Yeah, we need them both. Why would he say that? Well, well, of course, because he's part of the coming one-world global uh, religious system that's on the horizon. He's trying to form that. So he realizes how important the Hegelian dialectic, problem-reaction-solution, is. They create the problem, there's a reaction, and then they give you the solution. So you got to have liberals and conservatives. you got to have Democrat and Republican in order to pull that all off because you, you have these two sides warring and then the New World Order ends up giving you their version of the solution. Well, of course he'd say that. Why does, but I'm glad, he, I'm glad he was at least honest enough, enough to admit it, the, the devil. You know, Rick Warren's ongoing message has been that right-winged Christians against gay marriage and abortion need to come to a middle-of-the-road place with liberal Christians. There is no such thing as a liberal Christian. Just like a born-again Catholic. I, I, don't, I don't see any Bible for that. I don't. A liberal Christian. We need, we need to come, us, pro, us pro-life or anti-abortion, as they like to refer to us, anti-homosexuality. We need to come to a middle-of-the-ground road place with the liberal Christians. The Lord Jesus Christ rebuke you, Rick Warren, and all your ilk. They all need to be turned over to Satan, like it talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. They call themselves Christians, just like the guy in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 did, that took his uh, dad's wife, most likely his stepmom, to be his wife. And the Bible says that that church was glorying in their shame. But Paul said, when you're come together, gathered into one place, you're supposed to turn that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the soul may be saved in the day of the Lord. I did a whole teaching on this. Turning such a one over to Satan, just keying part of that in the uh, search box at continuefortruth.com. These people need to be turned over to Satan. They call themselves Christians, yet they're unrepentant devils. Purge out. The bad leaven, it said. Get them out of the church, lest they leaven the whole church. Leaven is like yeast. It permeates through the whole lump, and then it... it, it but the churches anymore are, are all leavened anyway. The, the ones that... The corporate 501c3 Church of America, they're already leavened. I mean, if you look at what the biblical qualifications for a pastor is, the vast majority of the time, in any church over across America, the pastor would have to step down most of the time. Just if you look at the, the actual biblical requirements of a pastor. Not every time, but I think the vast majority, if you really look at what the biblical qualifications are, they're pretty strict. Oh no, we don't look at that anymore. Anything goes. 
Not in all, but a lot. Going further. So we need to come to a middle-of-the-road place with, with liberal Christians, according to Rick Warren, who want to do something about the environment and, and AIDS. See, the liberal Christians want to make sure that they take away all of our land rights and then we get herded into these cities and into these corridors. And they've already got the maps all made up for this stuff because, you know, we got to prevent the speckled dung beetle over, you know, we, we got to have massive amounts of land. And I mean, I've done teachings where I talk about all of the massive amounts of, of land the government's just stolen, particularly out in the West. Millions and millions of acres. And we got to make sure that, that we cordon everyone off and herd us all into cities because we're much easier to control that way. In this talk, Rick Warren stated, quote, People ask me all the time, are you left-winged or right-winged? Rick Warren says, I'm the left-wing, he says, I'm for the left-wing and the right-wing, meaning the liberals and the conservatives. The fundamental truth is Washington needs both wings, no, the New World Order needs both wings, Rick. That's what you really meant to say. I mean, the man's a total devil. Fork-tongue devil. I'm surprised that, that they can fit him with shoes, because I don't know how you fit somebody with hooves with shoes. You know, because I would assume he's like old Splitfoot, his father. His father the devil. Ever hear that, that expression, old Splitfoot? The old goat of Mendez, Baphomet. I don't know how you fit a goat with shoes. I mean, the man is pure evil. And yet, you know, he's got the number one best-selling Christian book of all time, The Purpose Driven Lie, I mean life, sorry. It is just beyond comprehension how lukewarm and sick people that call themselves Christians are. There's no, I just don't see the outcry of course they're not going to be. They're, they're, they're lulled to sleep. In the 501c3 churches, corporate churches, for the most part, they're lulled to sleep. Does it mean I think I'm perfect? No. It does not mean I think I'm perfect. If I got what I deserve, I'd get death and hell. I'd be the first one to admit it. I'm just pointing out the obvious. Going further... Let me give you some Bible verses that I think might contradict good old a lot of things that good old Rick Warren just told us that we need both liberals and conservatives and that we need to come to a middle of the ground road place with liberal Christians and uh, we need to support the left and the right wing of the uh, political system. Psalm ninety-seven ten says, "Ye that love the Lord hate evil." Did you know we're supposed to hate evil? I can't do anything but hate evil. I hate evil wherever I see it. I hate injustice wherever I see it. I don't even care how small it is. I can't stand it. Doesn't mean I think I'm holier than thou or I'm better than anybody. I just can't despise evil. I hate injustice. I hate to see people get taken advantage of and, and, and just, ugh. Okay, excuse me, sorry about that. Um, so, ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints, he delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Here's another one, Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. 
Well, I thought the fear of the Lord was the beginning of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Yeah, the fear of the Lord is also to hate evil. Well, I just want the wisdom, the understanding, and the knowledge. I don't want the hate evil part. Well, that's too bad. It's not my rule book. It's God's. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The Bible says, The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him, and delivereth them. Well, I don't have any fear of the Lord. Well, then pray for it. Read the word of God. Pray for it. He can give you that. So, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, and also pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way. And the froward mouth do I hate. A froward, like, a perverse mouth, a lying mouth, you know, that type of thing. Does it mean you hate the person and you want to see them go to hell? No. It doesn't mean that. But the evil itself you do hate. You, you really can't help it. Pray for the person's soul to be saved. Pray that if, if it takes, if God has to hang that person out over hell for a day in order for them to get the picture, whatever it takes to get the person saved, and God knows. I mean, we don't know, but God knows. Is it more merciful to pray that or to pray or to not pray for him at all? And, you know, then they go to hell. Proverbs 17, 15 says, He that justifieth the wicked, and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. Justifieth the wicked. Like calling a Catholic a born-again Christian? Hmm. Wow. And, 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 and letting the Catholic think that they're on their way to heaven and born again? And, and, and uh, letting them just be cozy in that nice thought. Huh. And he that condemneth the just, like which, which, where you see all of this, the, the Bible talks about that the wicked governments that frameth mischief by a law. And now the people that are considered terrorists are the people that believe in the Bible or, you know, the right to free speech or, you know, pro-life. These are, you know, terrorists. See, a lot of this justifying the wicked. But they're an abomination of the Lord. Isaiah 5.20 Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Tons of that. See that too. Here's the next article from this appendix that I'm reading from. This is from January of 2008. The New Baptist Covenant, an alliance of over 30 Baptist organizations, will be hosting the, quote, 2008 celebration of the New Baptist Covenant. Conference starting today. Now remember, this is January 2008. A luncheon will be held with the guest speaker, Al Gore. Al Gore. Of all people on the planet, Al Gore. Skull and Bones, Yale Skull and Bones, one of the most evil, the, the, the man that brought us global warming, take away our rights, give us a carbon tax, Mr. Elitist New World Order himself, Al Gore. And they got no problem, these Baptists got no problem with Al Gore showing up and speaking at their church. Now that's discernment. This is mind-boggling. Other speakers at the event include Tony Campolo and former presidents Bill Clinton. 
Bill Clinton. I just told you we got the link above here where you can go and see all the hundreds of people that have died that have been associated with him and um, Hillary. Bill Clinton, who was the keynote speaker, and Jimmy Carter, another Satanist, too. The founder, he was the founder of the New Baptist Covenant. So, I mean, you know, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? It was a corrupt Baptist organization to begin with. When Jimmy Carter founded it, New World Order boy. The 30-plus Baptist organizations that are part of the New Baptist Covenant represent 20 million Baptists around the world. 20 million and I dare say, I don't think too many of them are going to heaven. I'm sorry. But if you see no problem with this type of speaking platform, you got to have some serious stuff going wrong in your church. I don't care if you call yourself Baptist, Pentecostal, Charismatic, Presbyterian, whatever. you got to have some serious issues. According to the NBC website, one thing can be stated with surety. The New Baptist Covenant has the potential of being another avenue through which mystical spirituality will enter the lives of millions of people. Mystical. Like the whole contemplative emerging church. Yeah, same thing. Mystical spirituality will enter into the lives of millions of people and damn them to hell forever. Oh, no, sorry, I added that in. And thus take them further away from the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, this is going on in an organization that calls themselves Baptist. Well, I told you, the, the, the New World Order wants to infiltrate every facet of all religions, but particularly Christianity. They really want to water it down, lukewarm it, corrupt it, leaven it. Jesus Christ said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, which is their doctrine. The Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day that had corrupted Old Testament Bible-believing um, Judaism and corrupted it into their own system. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, which is their doctrine. It's the same thing today. The religious leaders of the day, they've leavened Bible-believing Christianity with their false doctrine. Their soul-damning false doctrine. Another gospel. Next article, March 2008. Tony Jones comes out with his book, The New Christians, which insists that Christianity is dead. Well, thanks, Tony, for, for letting us in on that. As a typical, as is typical with many emerging church books, the New Christians emphatically tries to convince readers that the church is dead. At least the church as we have known it. Uh, Jones uses several analogies to describe present-day Christians, such as being like nearly obsolete payphones. I've always thought of myself as being kind of an obsolete payphone. I don't know about you guys, but, you know. Anyway, uh, and then a dying old growth forest, okay, or a compost rotting vegetables. Now, you know, that's a pleasant thought, you know. Um, and then he says he can almost hear the death rattle of America's church. Well, he's pretty much right about hearing the death rattle. I mean, as far as the leaven that's permeated. But, again, basically saying... New 
like New Testament Bible believing Christianity is dead, so that they can bring in their version, their their uh, another gospel, another Jesus, who um, who will really lead us down, you know, to the truth in their eyes. This is from May of 2008. Three of the most outspoken leaders of the emerging church, Tony Jones, Doug Paget, and Mark Scandrett, will be going on a national road tour this summer and are receiving sponsorship from several large organizations. Some of those sponsors are ChristianBook.com, Josie Bass, Compassion International, International Bible Society, and, last but not least, Zondervan. Oh, all of these are like Bible makers, or a lot of them are. Zondervan. Well, Zondervan's owned by Harper Collins, which is owned by Rupert Murdoch, who is a member of Rick Warren's church. He's one of the most wicked, evil men on the planet. Pornography, you know, just one of the most wicked. If you ever research the guy, I mean, he's just really, really bad dude. And uh, Harper Collins owns Zondervan. HarperCollins also publishes the Satanic Bible and all kind of gay and lesbian how-to manuals. And that's who, that's the parent company of good old Zondervan. So I, I wouldn't advise buying uh, your Bibles from Zondervan. I don't even know if Zondervan makes a KJV, but don't buy it. Or if you got one, I'd get another brand. I, Thomas Nelson's really infiltrated as well. But Zondervan is the worst of the bunch, no doubt. So, I'm not saying get rid of your Bible. I'm just saying, you know, with Zondervan, oh boy, that is just wickedness. Uh, The three men will hit 32 cities and their message of a 21st century gospel. Again, it's another gospel is what they mean. Paget states they are taking their invitation of hope and good news to people around the country. Preaching a fresh way of life and faith, one that is in rhythm with the life of God. Remember, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, meaning their own carnal desires. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Does that sound like a good word and a fair speech to you? You know, it sounds like some kind of info infomercial. You know? Invitation of hope and good news to people around the country. Preaching a fresh way of life and faith. One that is in rhythm with the life of God. Good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. We're supposed to mark them. That's Romans 16, verse 17 and 18. We're supposed to mark them to do that. Oh no, that would be judging. Yeah, we're supposed to mark them. And by name too. Paul said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Hymaeus has forsaken me for this present world. I mean, there's other people mentioned as well, specifically by name. Not hypocritical, just calling them out. So that, why? Well, because do you want that person going to another church and deceiving them? Deceiving people in that church? No, of course not. Well, that's why you mark them. So, unfortunately, this, quote, fresh way consists of a message that contradicts the gospel message of the Bible. Jones says the tour is a rendition of evangelism 100 years ago. Right. We think, they say, 
quote, we think that the church, even Christianity, needs an overhaul. And I have a little comment in here. You mean kind of like a satanic tune-up? Is that what you mean? The, the church needs an overhaul. And this is coming from three probably closet Satanists or Luciferians, you know, that are out there to deceive as many people as possible and take them to hell. So th- what they're talking about, the kind of overhaul, is a satanic tune-up, right? Lighthouse Trails believes this tour will mislead many people. For three emerging church leaders to say they are impersonating ev- evangelists from a hundred years ago is a frivolous parody at best and a mockery of godly believers of the past and the God whom they served at worst. The great evangelists from the past were, for the most part, Christians who held fast to the word of God and did not compromise its truth and authority, but not so with those who, would lead, who lead what is known as the emerging church. And again, this Bible verse kind of came in my head, Isaiah 59, 7. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, wasting and destruction are in their paths. You follow these people, wasting and destruction will come upon you eventually. Now, it may not be until hell, but nevertheless, wasting and destruction are in their paths. May of 2008, Time Magazine has joined the ranks of Christian and secular media. So when Time Magazine's getting on board with you, Time Magazine, the same one that had Hitler's Man of the Year, I don't know, what was like 1930-something? I'm not lying, they really did. Time Magazine, one of the most wicked, evil propaganda pieces, secular media sources. When they're yoking up with a Christian group, you better, you better, uh, you better beware. Time Magazine has joined the ranks of Christian and secular media that are reporting this week on Rick Warren's New Peace Coalition. The article, entitled Rick Warren Goes Global, says that Warren is, quote, perhaps the most important voice in contemporary American evangelical Christianity, and that Warren is hoping to take his brand, his hell-damning brand, I should say, of spirituality to the ends of the earth. Sure. Rick Warren is of his father the devil, and of his lust and of his works he will do. He was a liar from the beginning. Rick Warren is serving Satan and Lucifer, very well I might add, and he wants to see as many people rot in hell with him in the lake of fire as possible, and his father Satan as possible. Well, you say, oh no, no, come on now, that's just not right. That, honestly, if you boil everything down to a million years from now, isn't that all that's going to matter? Who's in the lake of fire? Isn't that all that's going to matter, really? And who's in heaven? What are their motivations, ultimately? Well, they want to have power on this earth, and they want to have this... Yeah, but but what's the end product of all of it? The lake of fire. Hell, and then the lake of fire. You know, I love you enough to tell you the truth. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You know... It should scare us, or an unsafe person in particular. So, uh, he's Warren's wanting to take his brand of spirituality to the ends of the earth. Oh, I bet he is. I bet he is. Warren told Time Magazine, who was invited by the, by the invitation-only conference, that this was, quote, the most important conference of his life, and he was extending participation in the Peace Coalition to, quote, the wider evangelical community. 
For those who read the Time Magazine article and are not familiar with Rick Warren's previous statements and teachings, Warren has defined this, quote, new reformation and how he intends to re-engineer the Christian faith. Oh, he's going to re-engineer it. And again, another satanic tune-up? You better believe it. For instance, when Warren spoke at the Pew Forum on religion in 2005, he told the audience that his new Christian reformation would include those from other faiths. Particularly Muslims. Yeah, don't don't worry about Second Corinthians six fourteen, where we're not supposed to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You know, just don't just ignore huge swaths of Scripture because the Bible's irrelevant, evidently. Well, that that's what for Rick Warren the Bible is totally irrelevant, other than what he wants to pick and choose and and, and isolate scriptures out of context with other things. Sure, you know that's the way he rolls. Next part, June, uh, July of 2008, CNN interview, and now this is just a title, CNN interview with Rick Warren on Obama and McCain at Saddleback Church, his church. Warren says they're both amazing men. Oh, the two high-level Illuminati, bloodline Luciferians, Obama and McCain, they're both amazing men. The Bible says that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Well, you, you're, you're all abominations in the sight of God, Rick, because you have no problem cozying up to the world and cozying up to Obama and all these politicians and being a Council of Foreign Relationship, uh, Relation member and having Rupert Murdoch in your church and espousing all this false doctrine and yoking up with Muslims and all the other horrific things you've done. you got no problem with any of that. August 2008, Presidential Forum, ABC interview with Rick Warren. Warren takes on his critics. Oh boy. Boy, that must have been heated. And then August 2008, emerging church author Donald Miller to give prayer at Democratic National Convention. Democratic, okay? On Monday night, August 25th, emerging church author Donald Miller of the, he had his book, Blue Like Jazz. Is that like smooth jazz? Like they play on the radio? Smooth jazz? Blue Like Jazz. I mean, what a catchy, fun book. I mean, I, the title alone, i, I got to go out and at least buy a gross of these books. 144 is a gross. I mean, I don't know. Uh, well, at least if I did that, of course, that money would be going to Satan. But at least I could have a nice big burn barrel uh, fire that night. I mean, if nothing else, I could have some nice kindling. Because that's what you need to do with those types of things. You need to burn it, break it, destroy it, whatever you can. That's what they did. When they got saved in Acts, they brought all their curious arts together, all their witchcraft implements or whatever wasn't of God, and they burned it. And it was a whole lot of money, it said. It gave the price in silver. So we're supposed to do this stuff. They're, they're cursed objects. They have demons literally attached to them. You burn it. Get rid of it. But I love it. It's We burned some stuff this week. My daughter's friend. Oh, my word. What an ordeal. People have their, this attachment to their material possessions. That's scary. Really scary stuff. And I mean, just overtly demonic stuff. You don't... In this case, ever since she was a little girl, her parents had showered upon her everything Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell, like in... Was Peter Pan? And I mean, she's... I told her, I said, you got to get rid of this stuff. 
It's cursed objects. She had everything Tinkerbell. We haven't even got rid of it all yet. She's only, she's only able to get rid of it a little bit at a time, and she was like freaking out over everything she had to get rid of. Well, they have demonic soul tie attachments to this stuff. Disney is one of the most wicked organizations, the most abominable, wicked, evil organizations this world has ever known. I did, don't believe me, key in Disney in the search box at contendingfortruth.com and listen to, the, I think it's like a 10-part teaching I did on Disney. I mean, it is so wicked to the core, it's, it's incomprehensible. And they have made things that supposedly appear real innocent. You know what that is? It's a fairy. Pixie, a fairy. Now, do a keyword search for like fairies online, and you'll see like fairies, witches, warlocks, werewolves, vampires. It's all in the same classification. Okay? So when you do keyword searches and you see stuff like witchcraft and vampires and werewolves and warlocks and all manner of evil showing up at the same keyword search, you know it's kind of a red flag. You know? I mean, you see the way she dresses? Not exactly modest. Oh, but it's Peter Pan. It's all innocent. No, it's not. It's just an indoctrination tool for evil. So many of the Disney movies are just indoctrination. They get you indoctrinated into witchcraft. Indoctrinated into the dark arts. There's so many... You, you, again, I did a whole 10-part teaching. I get into that there. And there's a lot of really good teachings you can go up on YouTube. Like if you came Disney and evil. You need to get rid of anything. It's Disney. Flat out telling you. Most likely it's a cursed object. And please, listen, avail yourself to that teaching in the, in the PDF I put along with it. If you, and again, if you, key, if you click on the PDF on a lot of my older teachings where it uses DivShare, it'll take you to another page and you have to scroll down and there'll be a green download button on the, on the page after you click on the link on the ContendingForTruth.com site. Scroll down, and there's a green download button. You click on that, and the download should appear. So, let's go further. Uh, let's see here. So, this Donald Miller, uh, author of Blue Like Jazz, gave the closing prayer at the Democratic National Convention in Denver, Colorado. This comes on the heels that Brian McLaren the prolific writer of an emerging church leader, is now an advisor to Barack Obama. Imagine that. A concerted effort is now taking place to draw emerging church voters into the democratic arena. Again, we, got, we have to have a one world religion somewhere. We're going to have everybody uniting. Democrat, Republican, Catholic, Muslim, everybody's going to ultimately end up getting on the same page other than the born-again Bible-believing Christians who will be singled out and ostracized and ultimately, you know what the Bible says. Now, not to say everybody's going to be beheaded, God always preserves a remnant. You know, and I don't go around with some defeatist attitude. I believe God, you know, but absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so, anyway, let's go further. So, a concerted effort is taking place to draw emerging church voters into the Democratic arena. It is quite possible that the emerging vote will be the tipping factor in the upcoming presidential election. It's all rigged anyway. It's all rigged anyway, so I mean, you know, it's all, it's all done for a show. And then the last one, uh, September 2008, Obama 
grew up with the Bible and the Koran, believes many paths lead to God. There's an article on this where Obama believes many paths lead to God. Oh, he grew up with the Bible and the Koran. He was brought up a Muslim in Kenya, where he was born. He wasn't born in Hawaii. I've done several studies on that as well, and there's been tons of documented research on that. It's almost like the Illuminati wanted to just see how flagrant they could be to put some unknown guy in office and have him be president. And I mean, totally unvetted. <laughs> I mean, the guy's an illegal alien at best. You know? He's not, he's not even a legal citizen, this guy. And he's our president. What a joke. What a, I mean, it's like, they wanted just to see how gullible the sheeple people could be. And I don't mean my listeners, okay? I'm just saying, in general, how gullible... What could they possibly get away with? Because, see, they gauge things like that to see how much they can get away with. And if they can get away with it, they know they have the green light to to pursue their draconian agenda even further. That's how they roll. That's what they do. That's their agenda. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's insanity. Let me see here what I got to go on this. Um, Yeah, let me do this next article here. Next article... uh, is entitled UN Guidelines Recruiting Religious Leaders as Agents of Change for the One World Religion. Okay, these are the United Nations guidelines. Okay. Now, I've done you hear you hear me mention a lot of times 501c3, Corporate Church of America. If you don't know about that key in 501c3 or just even the number 501 I think would do it in the search box at contendingfortruth.com. I've done several dedicated teachings on that subject. Uh, now, ultimately the 501c3 corporate church in America, which would comprise basically all various denominations that have taken that designation, which is probably 99.9% of them, ultimately they're going to be assimilated into the coming one world religion of Antichrist and the false prophet. From the Christian standpoint, that's most likely going to take place through the Catholic Church as the, as the mother mantle. And, that, and the Catholic Church, from an infrastructure standpoint, is the most set up for that, they're the richest, they're the most powerful, they've got, you know, from an infrastructure standpoint, they're the most set up to actually do that. Here is the United Nations guidelines for recruiting religious leaders as agents of change. <coughs> Excuse me. For the one world religion. Uh, in 2009, the guidelines for engaging faith-based organizations as agents of change, it's uh, called... UNFPA uh, put out specific tricks to reach congregations unwilling to go along with the United Nations population control programs, which is depopulation or eugenics programs. Because they got to kill, remember, according to the uh, Georgia Guidestones or the, the Ten Commandments of the New World Order, they got to reduce world population to 500 million. Well, that's, you know, nipping at a, you know, 90 to 95% reduction in current world population numbers. It's a lot of people. Now, there's other statistics that are banded around. I've heard 60 to, you know, 95 at the maximum. Well, they're actually putting out things now, the United Nations, in order to infiltrate these churches to get them on board with this whole eugenics depopulation agenda. UNFPA has been, has found that leaders of faith and interfaith-based organizations are open to discussing reproductive health if issues are addressed with care and sensitivity. 
reproductive health. Okay. These agents of change should also be recruited to protect and promote the overall agenda, quote, through countering misinformation campaigns and building social support within the governments and the International Conference on Population and Development. It was Prince Philip, yes, the same prince who proclaimed that he would like to see himself reincarnated into a killer virus in order to destroy the majority of humans if, if he was able to do that. Did you know he actually said that? He said, I want to come back as a, as a killer virus to kill off you know, the majority of humanity. That's what Prince Philip did. But it was the same guy who in 1995 launched the Alliance of, Religious, of Religions and Conservation. The Alliance. To illustrate exactly how widespread this move is toward a global unified religion, the previously mentioned announcement goes on to state, quote, the National Religious Partnership on the Environment is an alliance of the U.S. Catholic Conference, the Coalition of Environment and Jewish Life, the National Council of Churches. Now, I did a whole teaching, if you can, uh, National or Council of Churches, where the National Council of Churches has already proclaimed the Catholic Church as the only one true church. They've already proclaimed that. And this was years ago I did that teaching. It's already a done deal. The Protestant religions that came out of the Catholic Church during the Protestant Reformation, that's why they call them Protestants, because they were protesting what was going on in the Catholic Church, they're going to go back into the mother whore ultimately to be just assimilated into the coming one world religion, which with its backbone, the backbone of that coming one world religion, will be witchcraft. It's what God dispersed at the Tower of Babel when all the people, when he confounded all their languages and they were trying to build a, you know, a tower to the heavens and they had brought all their occult knowledge together to create this one world, wicked, evil, pagan religious system. God had to confound their languages and separate them and send them into different parts of the earth. And each one of them took their own little piece of the satanic pie with them. They had their own, each of them had their own little piece of occult knowledge that they were adept at. That's all coming back together now in the end times. All the Tower of Babel, what was undone then, is going to come back together. And that's going to be the essence of the coming one world religion. With witchcraft being its backbone. Witchcraft is going to be the essence of the coming one world religion. When you see the you know, signs and lying wonders and miracles that the false prophet and the antichrist are going to do, and they can call fire down from heaven, what do you think the source of that is? It's sure not God. It's occult witchcraft, knowledge and power that they're you know, evoking. So, all of these... Uh, this United Nations partnership is U.S. Catholic Conference, Coalition of Environment and National Life, National Council of Churches, and the Evangelical Environmental Network that serves more than 100 million Americans. That's a lot of people. We've talked, we've threw out some big numbers today. 20 million, 20 million, 100 million. That's a lot of souls going to hell. That's, that's, I mean, when I see that number, that's what I think of. That's the first thing I think of. All those people, I don't want them to go to hell. I pray to God their souls be saved. I pray to God they wake up. There's nothing in me that desires any of them to go to hell. But they're sure not going to get saved and go to heaven unless somebody, unless God intervenes, somebody tells them, they get their eyes open, 
their ears open, their hearts open to, to, to receive the truth. I mean, you know, that's just the reality of it. The official launch was preceded by the emergence of the Interfaith Partnership for the Environment, which was founded in the mid-1980s in order to, as UNEP website teaches, inform North American congregations about the serious environmental problems facing life on Earth. We should here insert the observation that, yes, there is something detrimental facing all life on our planet, and it isn't carbon dioxide. It is called the scientific dictatorship, which has already infiltrated almost all forms of human organization, including political, cultural, and and economic religious organizations. Now, the person writing this article is not a Christian, but she brings up some interesting points. The Earth Charter is another example, which is an initiative by Stephen Rockefeller, as well as Maurice Strong. The Charter outlines somewhat of an Earth worship cult for the brain-dead observer in order to obtain world peace with really Mother Gaia as the central theme. Mother Earth. You know, what about Father Time and Baby New Year? They don't get any press. Especially Baby New Year. And that really upsets me. Just kidding. See, a little humor. Anyway, yeah, but they're going to do all this to attain world peace. But when you take a closer look, you'll find traces of eugenics all over the place. Here's a man so keen on promoting the religion of death, which lies at the very core of this proposed religion, that he could not help himself on several occasions shooting off his mouth about his true objectives that are enshrined within his pillars. Here is an audio of Maurice Strong. You can click on that. I'm not going to play that. It's He sounds very effeminate, you know, in the interview. I mean, that that is one vile dude, let me tell you. Maurice Strong. It's about as high-level New World Order Illuminati as it gets, just about. The United Nations Population Fund... Um, which is this UNFPA, is the enforcement arm of the overall infrastructure and joined joined with their brother and sister agencies in the United Nations to encircle the world's religions reminiscent of a pack of hungry wolves. See, they're all going to be assimilated. All of the world's religions are going to be assimilated into the United Nations, into this, to form the one world religion. Since 2002... The UNFPA has emphasized the integration of culturally sensitive approaches into the programming efforts. Toward this end, it has worked closely within communities and within local agents of change, including religious leaders. There's all. There, I mean, again, I've told you about how uh, FEMA and Homeland Security are yoked up with the 501c3 church by the thousands. Okay, now, granted, you're not going to read the, open the paper and see this, but if you search. The articles are, are out there, and I got into this. Just key in, well, the 501c3 is all you really need to key in, or Homeland Security or FEMA. It, and I'll, I'll give you the proof in the PDFs and, and in the actual articles themselves of the churches, pastors in mass, yoking up with FEMA, Homeland Security. And, and again, no Bible for any of this stuff, but, you know. There's something to remember when you see preachers on television or radio emphasizing the need for smaller families and birth control. Big big chance you're dealing with yet another agent of change employed by the UN to gently lead you into its desired death cult. It's all leading toward the same, and that's why I'm, I'm here to warn about. We'd like to welcome you back to our third and final part of our current event and weekly Bible study for March 4th. 
2012. And the last part is going to be on Lent, Easter, uh, Ostara, Ishtar, uh, all of that exposed and how that relates to the Catholic Church as well. I've had some inquiries about this lately and I've seen a lot of stuff online about this whole concept of Lent. So we're going to be looking at that right now. I did a lot of research on this to actually get this information because it was hard. I couldn't find one website that had it all in one spot, everything that I wanted. So I had to really go through and and go through a lot of different websites and a lot of different sources to piece this all together to make one big coherent picture. Lent is a 40-day period of time that precedes the Catholic pagan fertility holy day or they call it a holiday, known as Easter, or Ishtar, where it was derived from uh, the name for the fertility goddess, Ishtar. Easter doesn't have anything to do with Jesus Christ. Okay, I've done a whole teaching on Ishtar, just key in Easter or Ishtar in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com. It's just a pagan holiday that the Catholics Christianized and brought into you know, their religion. <clears throat> Uh, it was actually named for the fertility goddess Ishtar, which is where we de- derive the word Easter from. Lent is actually a 46-day period, but the Catholics don't count the Sunday, any of the Sundays in this period as part of the 40 days. Therefore, it's 40 days. Okay, so <clears throat> only weekdays are taken into consideration when counting the 40-day period as Sundays to them represent a mini Easter. During this time, observers tend to give up something they like, such as food, like meat or certain meals, or a form of secular entertainment like television, essentially as a form of fasting for the supposed purposes of getting closer to God for penance. Easter is a movable feast, meaning it is not fixed in relation to the civil calendar. The first Council of Nicaea in 325, which is uh, a.k.a. First Ecumenical Council of the Catholic Church, is what it was, okay? It's established the date of Easter as the first Sunday after the full moon following the northern hemisphere's vernal or spring equinox known as Ostara. So it's essentially determined through astrology and it's a movable date. Ecclesiastically, the spring equinox is reckoned to be on March 20th or the 21st. The date of Easter, therefore, varies between March 22nd and April 25th. That's like more than a month, the date of Easter fluctuates. Which obviously would make no sense if this really was the date of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like a birthday, it would be on the same day every year, not varying by over a month every single year. I mean, that by itself should show you there's gigantic problems with Easter. So in reality, Easter and the starting date of the 40-day Lent period is determined through the forbidden practice of astrology. I mean, the witches and the warlocks or people in the occult do so much stuff on the moon cycles. Full moon, harvest moon, whatever you want to call it. There's all types of different moon phases where they will actually work their occult practices. Easter is one of their high uh, satanic holy days that they work magic on. It's not the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
So, going further, if you think about it, if Easter is determined through the practice of pagan astrology, well then so is the start of Lent. Because it's supposedly, it was technically 46 days before Easter starts, but the start of Lent would also be determined. So, once you determine the day of Easter through astrology, well then you can go back 46 days to the start of Lent, so Lent is actually determined through pagan practices as well. So that is why their dates change every year like clockwork. Suppose you want to find out when Lent starts on 2012. You will have to find out when Easter Sunday is in 2012. Basically, Lent, Ash Wednesday, Mardi Gras, also known as Fat Tuesday, and Good Friday dates are calculated on the basis of Easter of the Easter date, which in turn is calculated through astrology. To prove this, Lent in 2009 began always begins on Ash Wednesday which was February 25th. Okay. Lent 2010 began on February 17th. Lent 2012 began on February 22nd. So again, it's it's movable. These dates are all movable because it's it's, you know, determined through the moon phases in astrology and so on and so on. So, the word of Stara is just one of the names applied to the celebration of the spring equinox on March 21st. Ostri, or Ostara, was a goddess in the Germanic paganism pantheon whose Germanic month has given its name to the festival of Easter. So that's another way they derived Easter from this, is from that word as well. As a goddess, Ostara is, as a goddess, Ostara is wrote about by the author Bede in the 8th century work, De Temporum Rationane. Ration. Bede states that feasts held in Ostara's honor during April had died out by the time of his writing. This is the 8th century. And had subsequently been replaced by the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, Ostara was always a, uh, a the uh, celebration of the, Germa- uh, the goddess of Germanic paganism. That was her name, essentially. But by the 8th century, most likely due to the infiltration of the Catholic Church and the paganization, or the Christianization of this pagan holiday, this author, Beatty, states the feast held in Ostar's honor during April had died out by the 8th century and had subsequently been replaced by the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. So again, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? It was a pagan, wicked holiday to begin with, and this is Ostara, as well as Easter, Easter, and you know, you, you can't take something that's corrupt and make it uncorrupt. Its foundation was corrupted from the beginning. So let's go further. Origins of Lent and Easter. Let's go to Ezekiel eight fourteen through sixteen, where it says, "Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north, and behold, there sat woman weeping for Tammuz." Okay, now we're going to discuss Tammuz here. Now this is an abomination. This is something God is showing Ezekiel. Okay, He brought him through the door of the gate in the Lord's house, which was toward the north, and he behold, there set women weeping for Tammuz. This is in the Lord's house. They're weeping for Tammuz, essentially the sun god, who they've dubbed as the sun god. The offspring, of, supposedly, of Nimrod and Semiramis. This is the start of the Babylonian mystery religions. 
Then said he unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn ye that turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. And he brought me to the inner court of the Lord's house, and behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men. Okay, so twenty-five men, with their backs toward the temple of God, and their faces toward the east. And they worshipped the sun toward the east. They were worshipping the sun. This is the whole concept of the Ishtar, or Easter, sunrise services that so many churches have. They're doing the exact same thing. That was even a greater abomination in God's eyes than the women weeping for Tammuz. They were doing it in the temple of God. Well, well, if you go to an Easter sunrise service, and and you isn't that a church service? Isn't it kind of the same thing? You see how Satan gets the advantage of so many people? They don't. They think they're doing this for God, and they're not. They're doing a pagan practice. And Satan's laughing all the way, you know, about it. So if you care to know where Easter eggs, the Easter bunny, the Easter ham come from, start with Tammuz. Now, again, I've done a whole teaching on Easter, where I get into all this stuff in detail. I think I give you the link here. But... Um, or key and Easter at contendingfortruth.com. So I'm not going to do an exhaustive study so much on Easter, but we're going to more focus in on some of the tenets I didn't cover in that first one and also Lent. So if you care to know where Easter eggs, Easter bunny, Easter ham come from, start with Tammuz. Uh, no, go back even further to Nimrod. Nimrod is the great-grandson of Noah. Nimrod was slain by Shem, Noah's son, because of his great wickedness and desire to make himself a god. His wife... Beltus, also known as Semiramis, eager to claim Nimrod's kingdom, kingdom, proclaimed that Nimrod had ascended to heaven after his death and was now the sun god. Nimrod, now the Babylonian sun god, then impregnated her with the rays of the sun. Now there's other versions of that as well, which I won't get into. And she gave an immaculate birth to Tammuz. Essentially, what the other version is, and I'm going to try to keep this as clean as possible. Shem chopped up Nimrod and sent his, um, chopped his body parts up. I believe he sent them to different parts of the empire as a warning. Semiramis recovered all the body parts, supposedly, the legend goes, other than one. Uh, the male phallus, who she fashioned into her own she made her own kind of phallus, like an obelisk, and supposedly impregnated herself that way. That's the most common version I've seen. And this immaculate conception, out of that came Tammuz. Okay? The sun god Tammuz, as well. Not the son of God, but do you notice the parallel between the whole Jesus birth? You know, the mother, mother Mary conserving, you know, conceiving, immaculate conception, these types of things. Okay, well, this is what the pagans will always point to and say, see, it's just a knockoff of paganism. I covered that whole subject and debunked it in the zeitgeist teachings that I've done. So just key in zeitgeist in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com where we debunk that whole myth. Tammuz, the reborn sun god, Nimrod, who supposedly, was 40 years old when he was gored to death by a wild boar during a hunting accident. I hate when that happens. Anyway, in honor of the slain Tammuz, 40 days of weeping were given each year. A day for each year of his life. 
This is the ritual now called Lent. This is where we get the 40 days of reflecting and, and, and giving up something. You're doing it for Tammuz, the sun god, not the son of God, the sun god. It's what Saturnalia is, it's December 25th. It's the birth date of Tammuz, Saturnalia. The sun god, S-U-N, not son of God. Of course, the Catholics came along and said, no, 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 it's the birth date of the son of God. See how closely, they, but see how subtle the whole thing is? So, he died when he was 40. He was gored by a boar. Remember that. Gored by a pig. Okay? So, in honor of the slain Tammuz, 40 days of weeping were given each year. Now, could this be why the women were weeping in the temple in Ezekiel 8, verse 14? This was probably Easter when this was happening. Okay? Or during that time period. So, they have... 40 days of weeping for each year of his life, the, now, the ritual is now called Lent. See, Catholicism, all they've done is they've taken so many pagan evil practices and incorporated them into the church, into their abomination of a pseudo-Christian church, Christianized pagan things, and then given this nice Christian veneer and say it's, and then they you know, say it's holy. According to pagan sun god religion, Semiramis, the wife of Nimrod, the sun god, and mother of Tammuz, the reborn sun god, upon her death was sent back by the sun god Nimrod as the fertility goddess Easter. Easter, I'm sorry. So Semiramis was sent back after she died. Seems like they all come back. Nimrod came back as Tammuz and she comes back as Easter. Or Ishtar. She was sent back the first Sunday after the vernal equinox, a.k.a. Easter Sunday, which we just described, in a large basket. Now, this is according to legend, okay? I'm not making this stuff up. This is where we get all the Easter practices from, or many of them. So she was sent back the first Sunday after the vernal equinox, so Sunday, so Easter, in a large egg that landed in the Euphrates River, washed into wicker reeds. This is where we get the wicker basket and the Easter egg. She came back in an egg. She washed into the wicker reeds, where we get the wicker basket that has the eggs in them. Okay? Um, the Easter priest, in honor of her fertility, would impregnate young virgins upon her altar. Oh, that sounds real holy. And then sacrifice these three-month-old infants upon the same altar the following year as the sun rises on the Sunday Easter Easter sunrise service morning. Let me read that again so you get the full concept there. These devil satanic priests would impregnate virgins on Easter. Okay, remember, they, they have nine months. Okay, they have, okay, then they have the baby, the ninth month, and then three months later, which would make it a year to the day, okay, now obviously they're, they're not, all of them are giving birth exactly at nine months, but for argument's sake, okay, 12 month period, they would take these three month old babies upon the same altar the following year, as the sun rises on Sunday, Easter morning, and they would sacrifice them. Human sacrifice. This is the wonderful holiday, I mean holy, pagan holy day of Easter. 
This is where we get this wonderful Easter tradition from. They would then take the eggs, for, uh, they would take eggs, which uh, symbolizes fertility, dip them into the red blood of these sacrificed infants. This is where we get the coloring of the eggs. They would, they would, use, they would dip it in the infant blood that were just sacrificed. And these pagans would then roast the boar that supposedly, a, a symbolic boar that killed Tammuz and eat the ham on Easter Sunday. Why? Because the boar is what killed Tammuz when he was 40 years old. So we got 40 days of Lent, you kill the, you kill the pig to get back at, at what killed the sun god, Tammuz, you eat Easter ham on, on Easter Sunday, and the, and the colored Easter eggs are from the blood of the, of the little babies they sacrificed a year to the day, on the same altar that the virgins were impregnated on. If that's, if that's not the most disgusting thing about I've ever heard, I don't know what is. That's, that's what Easter is, everyone. And that's just a little bit of what it is. Click on my full... Here, here's a link to my full teaching on it. It's called Easter Ishtar Paganism Repackaged. I'm just going to read you the, the table of content, or the, the description of the sermon. In this teaching, we will, we, will, we will be focusing on the history of Easter, exploring its disturbing, undeniable pagan roots. To be objective, I have endeavored to garner input from not only Christian sources, but also Catholic and pagan sources as well. As you will see, all three sides are in agreement as to Easter's pagan origin and history. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing is established. They all agree. We will explore exactly when the holiday of Easter was incorporated into the Roman Catholic Church at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, whereby this practice then started to permeate and leaven many other branches of Christianity. We will also be looking at Easter's close ties to the pagan god goddess known as Ishtar, and the specific associations and practices of Easter, like the Easter bunny, it's the fastest procreating mammal on the planet, it's fertility, okay, that's why the bunny is associated with it, colored eggs, we already looked at that, Lent, we already looked at that, Ash Wednesday, that's the start of Lent, we're going to be looking more at Ash, Ash Wednesday coming up, hot cross buns, that's like baking cakes to the queen of heaven, spring break, the Easter ham, wicker Easter baskets, Easter sunrise services, Mardi Gras, etc. We're going to be looking more at Mardi Gras in a second here. Lastly, and this is important, we will explore why only the King James Bible version translates the Greek word Pascha to Easter instead of Passover in Acts 12.4 and how this is one more proof of the superiority of the authorized King James Bible version. Because there's a reason that it's only translated Easter there. And it's totally confirms the word of God. Next article. I got saw this the other day. Baptists are unbiblically adopting Advent in Lent. Um, it's from David Cloud's website. Baptists are turning to the observation of Lent is the title of an associated Baptist press report for February 26th. This is, out of, this is back in 2009. The article says, though traditionally viewed as a Catholic rite, increasingly, numbers of Baptists are discovering the discipline of Lent. The discipline. You mean the pagan practice? Belmont University, until recently affiliated with the Tennessee Baptist Convention, marked February 25th with an Ash Wednesday service, co-officiated by a Catholic bishop. We've got Baptist churches where they're doing 
a service that is co-officiated by a Catholic bishop. The entire concept of Mardi Gras, which is a Catholic holiday, is satanic to the core. Catholics deliberately indulge in sin and then go and make it all right, according to the Catholic Church, on Ash Wednesday. That's what Mardi Gras is all about, you know indulgence, debauchery, you name it. Because why? Because you're just going to correct it all through Ash Wednesday and Lent. So live it up. Go nutty. You know, because you're going to you're going to atone for your own sins. It's it's the whole concept of the Catholic Church. You you know, all of these things you do, the seven sacraments and all these things you do for penance and praying the rosary and all this other garbage. You're atoning for your own sin. Jesus Christ is not doing that. The blood of Jesus Christ does not cover your sins in the Catholic Church. You do that yourself. You earn your way to hell, which is essentially what's happening. They think it's heaven. Well, then you got to go through purgatory. And then you better hope somebody says a mass in your name or of several masses in order to get you out of there quicker. Because that's your get-out-of-jail-free card when they pray masses for you after you're dead. I mean, it's, it's so ridiculous and pagan. So, what is Mardi Gras? It is French for Fat Tuesday. It is the day before Ash Wednesday, when Catholics gorge and carouse before fasting for Lent. Mardi Gras in the French Quarter of New Orleans is something Jesus and his apostles would totally reject. Luke, see Luke 21.34, Romans 13.13. 13. 1 Peter 4.3, they never gorged and partied in preparation for fasting and repentance. Putting ashes on the forehead is not hinted at in the Bible either. Jesus and his apostles never thought of such a thing. Why? Because it was adopted from paganism. African and Indian pagan rites have involved ashes on the forehead for hundreds of years. This man-made tradition of the Catholics makes the worship of God of no effect and adds to the commandments of Jesus Christ. Now, I added a lot to this source article about the paganism and stuff like that, and and checking into that. Why is the forehead chosen for the ashes? Because the forehead, the middle of the forehead, represents the third eye, or chakra, of the Hindus. Okay, the third eye. The all, you know, having your third eye open, being able to see in the spirit world, it's, you know. Surely you have seen Hindu women with the mark between their eyes, the little red dot in their forehead. Talaka is the mark of the auspiciousness of the Hindus, which may be done by marking the forehead with sacred ashes. Ash Wednesday did not come from the Bible. It appears by similarity to have come from Hinduism. Lent and Advent are Roman Catholic and Greek Orthodox sacramental practices that have no biblical authority. For Baptists to adopt these things is further evidence of the encroachment of the ecumenical movement, the blending of doctrinal distinctives, and the unifying of the denominations. Doubtless, one of the impetuses for the adoption of Advent and Lent among Baptists is the spread of the contemplative mysticism through the entire influence of men like Richard Foster and Dallas Willard. Now, we talked about a lot about this contemplative, this emerging Christianity, in the first two parts of this study. Contemplative practices such as centering prayer, visualization, lecto divina, the Jesus prayer, and breath prayers are adopted from the darkness of Catholic monasticism, meaning it came from the monks. The monks were a lot of the ones that gave us these dark practices from hundreds of years ago. Now it's all coming back into the into the church, into 
mainstream Christianity. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. Colossians 2.8. And I believe this is the concluding article. This is such a disgusting picture. I, I, I hate it. It's entitled, Houston Pastor Asks Church Members to Get Tattoos for Lent. This wonderful, biblical-centered pastor has asked his church congregants to get tattoos for Lent. And it has all of these people, including the pastor in the middle, with showing us all their ink on their defiled bodies from these tattoos, uh, with um, like in this one big display. It's just, it's a, it's a horrifically disgusting picture, but it's enti- the picture's entitled Design, the designer Scott Erickson left and the pastor Chris Say joined other community members at Ecclesia Church in Montrose who have gotten tattoos. Uh, asking, this is up from Houston, asking his congregation to get permanent tattoos as part of their Lenten observances. Now this is not a Catholic church, but they might as well be. As part of their Lenten observances, meaning Lent, maybe one of the most crazy things Ecclesia pastor Chris Say has done at his artsy, pop culture savvy Montrose Church. The tattoos represent the Catholic stations of the cross. As part of the church's art exhibit for Lent, called Cruciformity, Stations on the Skin. I mean, they just have to be as irreverent and evil as possible, you know. Though the church hoped to get just 10 people to volunteer to get tattoos, one for each station of the cross, between 60 and 80 people got inked for the pro- for the project. So they had, you know, when it comes to doing evil, sure, they're going to have a flood of people that want to get their, their uh, tattoos. Their tattoos display different scenes from the station of the cross following the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. We're going to have a lot of people who don't go to church, who are into the tattoo culture, uh, said, say, we hope that as you pause and look at this art, God will speak to you about who he is and what he's done for us. Oh, I'm sure a lot of people are going to get saved from viewing these tattoos. I, I mean, I'm, I, it's a tremendous witnessing tool. I, I have to agree. You know, What can I say? Anyway, I want to declare to them, hey, you're welcome here. Say estimates half of the Ecclesia community has a tattoo in his church. Half of these people do. They're more popular than than ever among the young people, with about 40% of Americans under 30 sporting ink. Don't you love that term, sporting ink? According to the Pew Research Center, at least, in Christian communities, religious-themed tattoos are relatively common. Christian satire blog, uh, Stuff Christians... Stuff Christians Like, it's a Christian satire blog, lists tattoos for God among contemporary Christian trends, noting the use of body art as a tool for evangelism. And again, I don't know about you guys, but I know of like at least a thousand people that got saved through Christian tattoos. I mean, it's a tremendous, amazing witnessing tool. Obviously, I'm totally being facetious here, but... um, There is still a debate, often cultural and generational, about whether it's appropriate for Christians to get tattoos. Oh, really? Oh, I thought the debate was over. There shouldn't be any debate. It's all good. It says, there are definitely some Old Testament passages that have something to say about tattooing. 
But we don't think that they have weight in, the, in this contemporary circumstance. Well, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I would agree with you that, uh, Mr. Pastor. Uh, of course, you're not no pastor. I don't know what you are. You're just an abomination, essentially. Uh, in God's eyes, at least. And I mean, I'm just saying from a biblical standpoint, the guy is just leading people to hell. Is all I can see. But he doesn't think that the Old Testament passages about marking your skin and things, they, they, that they have any weight in this contemporary circumstance. Again, he's devised his own religion, his own religious system, his own cult belief system, that just kind of picks and chooses what he wants out of the Bible. A Christian author and Baylor graduate and third, year, third generation pastor, uh, he, they've really done a really good job with him, uh, third generation. Uh, he says, if we thought the scriptures were prohibiting it, we wouldn't be doing it. Oh, right. Like, the scriptures matter to a church like this. Please. I mean, what unbelievable rank hypocrisy. Now, i give you my four-part teaching I did on tattoos, body modification, and piercing. It's at the very end of the PDF on page 13. I'm just going to read you the description. You can spot irrefutable evidence a society has embraced satanic values by many methods. But the visible evidence of multiple body piercings and tattoos are some of the strongest of all. But few people understand the use Satan makes in piercing and tattoos to control the person. I mean literally control them. The vast majority of tattoo parlors on earth are operated by practicing Satanists. Did you know that? Yes. To verify this fact, just go to any major newsstand and look through the pictures shown. Of course, I wouldn't advise doing that. But look at the pictures in the tattoo magazines. You will be shocked to see the blatant Satanism represented there. We are told, what they do is they bless the needles. They come in, they literally view this like their religion. And they bless the needles, meaning there's a big curse with the needles, with the tattoo itself. And you get to take that big fat demon home with you once you got the tattoo. Kind of a package deal. And they don't even charge you extra for the demon you just adopted. I mean, it's a great deal. So, um, going further, we are told to shun all evil and not mix with those things that are, uh, that are of Jesus with those things that are of Satan. Thus, a quick look through a tattoo magazine will prove to you that tattooing and body piercing are evil and straight out of the pit of hell. Before tattoos and needles and knives are used, they are typically cursed in a coven ritual, attaching demons to them and conducting exactly the right kind of ritual in which demons are instructed to, quote, follow the recipient. A person who is tattooed will then have demons specifically called forth in the ritual to follow them home. This fact is the reason a family in which a child has gotten a tattoo and or body piercing suddenly experiences a dramatic increase in rebellion, lust, and other satanic values listed. And that's a proven fact. I, I give you the actual articles where they've done studies on where deep, all kinds of deviant behavior are associated with tattoos. And the more you get, the more deviant the behavior becomes. And that's piercings as well. And we'll look at that from a satanic viewpoint, how Satanists view this, not just how somebody that's ignorant of the subject would view it, because what does that matter? Let's view the people that are actually doing the tattoos. How do they view it? Very, very, uh, uh, very, very sobering. But it's a four-part teaching. It's at the very end of the uh, 13-page PDF for uh, the study on March 4, 2012. That's all I have for today. I'll go ahead and uh, close this out 
in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day and this time you've given us. I thank you for letting us come together again, Lord, to uh, explore these truths, Lord God, to not be ignorant of Satan's devices, to expose them, Lord God. And I just pray that you bless my listeners, Lord God, and the body of Christ, and the innocent, Lord God, the unborn babies in the womb, the children, the babies, the mothers, the fathers, the, the, these people, Lord God, that would be saved. For you know, Lord God, who will be saved. I just plead the blood of Jesus Christ over them. I pray, Lord God, that your protective hand be upon them, that you use them mightily for your glory. I pray you forgive us for any and all sins that we have committed as we forgive those who have sinned against us and that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer that you would cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We honor you. We worship you. We glorify your holy name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.